Well, good morning, RBC family, friends, anyone who has blessed us with the opportunity to join us this morning virtually. Thank you so much. I am Pastor Jason, and, and man, what a great introduction to where we are going this morning in God's word. For, first, to sing praises to the Lord that, that our hope is built on nothing else but Jesus Christ. And man, do we not need that hope right now? When everything around us, is, as far as the world goes, is, is, is out of control and in the state of uncertainty. And then the, the follow-up song, I will wait for you until my soul is satisfied. What, what a great question for us to, to ask ourselves this morning. Are our souls satisfied in him and in him alone? I'm, I'm so excited to be gathered together virtually, although I, I must admit that this is getting a wee bit old to come here Sunday after Sunday by myself. I, I'm tempted to turn my computer screen around to let you all see what I see on Sunday mornings, which is just a whole bunch of chairs with nobody in them. And, and yet at the same time, this is a good lesson for me in order for me really to, to have the Lord check my heart. And to cause me to just pause and ask myself, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this for the applause of men or am I doing this? To, do I bring God's word Sunday after Sunday so that he might be glorified? If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me as we are going to go back into the book of Acts. And we are going again to be unpacking God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter, going again through the book of Acts. And we find ourselves at Acts chapter 18 this morning. And as you will remember, we are walking with the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. This missionary journey that, that began in Acts chapter 15. And today what we are going to see is we're going to see this missionary journey come to an end. And, and what I've entitled this morning is the homecoming. Not, not, the home, not homecoming as in the football game where everybody goes. No, no, I'm not. This is talking about a missionary homecoming. As the Apostle Paul, after serving for so many years, comes back to his home church in Antioch. But you will, you will remember that, that when we began this journey, alongside the Apostle Paul, that, that it started off so help, hopeful and encouraging as, as both he and Barnabas came together and they said, okay, you know what we need to do? We need to go back and, and we need to go see those churches that by God's grace were planted. So, so Barnabas, let's go back. And, and of course, Barnabas, he's excited. And he's like, sure, let's go, Paul. We're going to go back to those places and, and we'll encourage the saints and, and we'll look after the body and, and okay, and, and, and let's take John Mark. And Paul's all, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. No, 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 we're, we're not taking John Mark. And, and then you'll remember that although it sounded like it was going to be such a great beginning, it, it actually turns out to be not such a good beginning at all as they had not just a little disagreement, but they had a huge, major, sharp disagreement. And Barnabas wouldn't back down, and Paul wouldn't back down, and they just kept bucking heads until finally they, they separated. 
And Barnabas said, okay, well, then I'm going to take John Mark and I'm going to go this direction. And then the apostle Paul said, well, okay, I'm going to take Silas and, and I'm going to go this direction. And that's exactly what they did. That they each went their separate directions. And who we have been following is the apostle Paul. As he starts off with Silas, but then the Lord allows some others to join them as quickly he, he brings Timothy along as well as Luke. And, and where do they start off? They, they start off encouraging the churches in Galatia. And they, and they go to different churches then from there to Macedonia. That isn't what Paul's plan is. Actually, where Paul wants to go is Asia. He, he wants to go to, to a big town like Ephesus. But the Lord, the Holy Spirit says, no, not yet. You're not going to Asia. I want you to go to Macedonia, which, which was then Greece is what it would be today. And so then we, we marched with the Apostle Paul and his, and his missionary team as they then go to Greece. And, and where do they go first? They go to Philippi. And in Philippi, things start off looking pretty good. And, and there's a, a slave girl who has a, has a demon and she's doing some amazing things. And, and what happens is those that own her, they're, they're excited because this demon allows her to tell the future. And so they're making lots of money off of her, but she's miserable. And she's following Paul all around, saying that she knows who he is and that he represents Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul cast that demon out of her. And as a result, her owners get so upset that they, they take Paul and they take Silas and they put them in prison. And you will re remember that when they are, are in prison and they are in such a terrible state, that first they are beaten with rods, then they are put in the, in the inner depths of the, pit, of the prison where it is totally dark and bleak and terrible and no doubt smells. And then, and then on top of all of that, they're chained so they can't move. And, and yet at midnight, what do we see them doing? We see them singing songs of praise to the Lord. Unbelievably singing songs of praise to the Lord. And then the Lord sends an earthquake, not to allow them to escape, but actually to be a testimony to that jailer. And what does the Lord do through that? He saves that jailer. And then we see from there that, that they move on to Thessalonica. And there, things seem to start off pretty good, but then they take a turn for the worse, and the Jews get upset, and they're actually chasing. They're trying to find Paul, but they can't find him, so, so they find another believer whose name happens to be Jason, and they drag him to the magistrates, to the leaders, and there he has to pay some sort of, some sort of money in order to, to keep them from getting in trouble, and it seems that, that with that money that is paid, that there's also some agreement that says, okay, now, Paul, you, you can't stay here any longer. So we see Paul leave Thessalonica after there. And then where does he go? He goes to Athens, which is, you know, the philosophical capital city at that time. And as, and as Paul goes to Athens, he gives just an unbelievable sermon, a sermon that we could entitle to an unknown God. And as he's giving this sermon, we no doubt think, oh, man, the whole city is going to turn. You see, there, there are just idols strewn throughout the entire city of Athens. 
And, and one of these idols is named to an unknown God. And Paul says, I know this unknown God. This unknown God has sent me to you to proclaim this message. But instead of believing the message, the majority of the city of Athens is not changed. And so then we see Paul leave. He leaves Athens. And he heads by himself to the city of Corinth. And when he arrives in Corinth, you, Corinth, you have to believe that, that he's discouraged and, and possibly a little depressed. You see, he's, he's alone. He, he doesn't have a place to stay. He seems to be very short on money. And yet as he arrives, the Lord provides. As he meets Aquila and Priscilla, who, who give him a place to stay. They give him a house, their own house, as he joins with them and has a place to stay. And then it also turns out that they do the same exact work that Paul does. And so he is doing the, the work of being a tent maker. But even more important than that, not only do they work together to allow Paul to, to be able to have enough money for, for food and his sustenance, but they also minister together as Aquila and Priscilla are our believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so they become new co-workers, ministry co-workers with the Apostle Paul. And we see that, that that is what Paul is doing in Corinth. And he is continuing to work together with Aquila and Priscilla until his missionary buddies join him in Corinth. And then as they join him, he, he then lays aside the tent working ministry and, and he goes to the synagogue and he continues to proclaim the word of God. But now he's, he's preaching about Jesus day after day after day. And, and then we see that the Jews, they, they just don't want to hear it. And, and so what does Paul do? He, he shook out his garments, as it says, and in Acts 18, verse 6. And he says, your, your blood be on your own heads. And he, and he leaves that synagogue and he actually ends up going next door. And, and by the goodness of God, there's a, a man next door who, who lets them stay in his house. His name is Justice. And, and he allows his house to become the, really the first church of Christ church in Corinth. And then we also see that the Lord adds even more to the number of believers as one of the, the leaders of the synagogue named Crispus. He becomes a believer as well. And yet through all of that encouragement, something seems to be pulling and weighing down on Paul as he seems to be struggling with fear. He no doubt is wondering what is going to happen next. You see, time after time, Paul has been beaten. Paul has been dragged off to prison. And no doubt he's thinking that is exactly what's going to happen now in Corinth. And so we saw this probably six weeks ago, right? As we were looking at the book of Acts. And what, what we looked at was the beginning of Paul's time in Corinth. And we saw then that the Lord came and spoke to Paul. He reassured him, no, Paul. It's going to be okay here in Corinth. I've got this. I want you to stay right where you are and continue doing what you are doing. So if you have your Bibles now or your app or whatever you use in order to look at God's word, please turn with me to Acts chapter 18. And we're going to start in, in verse 9 
this morning, but we're going to go all the way through to 22, where we see that the homecoming of Paul, where he returns back to his home church in Antioch. But in order to truly understand what is happening here, we have to be reminded of what the Lord Jesus Christ said to Paul. So look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he, Paul, settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord, one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Gallio was, was not concerned about any of these things. Paul, having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Kentria, he had his hair cut for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus and he left from there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but taking leave of them and saying, I will return to you again if God wills, he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. Let me pray for for the preaching of God's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, we... We confess to you that we do not always walk before you the way that we should. We desire right now, above all things, in the situation that we find ourselves with COVID, with having to stay home, with having our our lives changed in so many ways, that our desire is that we would walk with you in a way that pleases you, in a way that honors you. Lord, I I ask this morning that you would teach us from the example of the Apostle Paul, that you would allow us to learn the things that we are to learn from him, the lessons that Paul gives us, that you give us through the example of the Apostle Paul, and that we might end our time here with a better glimpse, with a better understanding of how we're to walk before you. And all that we do, in particularly in times where things just do not make sense. And we can't figure out what's going on. So help us this morning. Help me. As I proclaim your word, Lord, may your spirit take over. And may your word be our guide. 
and be the foundation of all that we believe and all that we do. For it's in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we are going to see this morning, although it's a little bit difficult to to see in in Acts chapter 18, there is a clear separation where where Paul ends his second missionary journey. And then in, in verse 23 of chapter 18, he begins his third missionary journey. And as Paul finishes this, his second missionary journey, what we have to ask ourselves is, is how does Paul finish? As he comes home, does he come home well or, or not so well? What we are going to see this morning is what a good homecoming looks like. As he returns home to ascending church, we are going to, going to see, in particular, four lessons that the Apostle Paul has to teach us on how to finish well, on how to be a faithful follower, on how to serve Christ in everything that we do. And in particular, we are going to see, in his case, what a follower of Christ, how he can finish well. And what are the life lessons that the Apostle Paul has learned and already put into practice that he continues to live day in and day out as he walks with the Lord? As I thought about this, what the, the question is, so what does a good homecoming look like for a missionary? And I would say after being overseas in the country of Papua New Guinea for so many years, nearly 20 years, I, I saw lots of people leaving the field. And coming home for all sorts of reasons. Now, now, sometimes those reasons were good. That they had finished their work. And they had left everything in the hands of the people. Other times the, the reasons, it wasn't in their timing, but because of sickness. That that particular family had to leave. But other times, I saw people leave the mission field, not for good reasons, but, but for bad reasons. Because of immorality, because of problems with, with coworkers, because of communication issues that were never dealt with, relationship issues that were never dealt with correctly. And what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, that, that even though, think about this, even though the, this, the second missionary journey of Paul starts off on very rocky ground with this great big disagreement between him and Barnabas. That doesn't characterize Paul throughout this entire missionary journey. Barnabas and, and Paul, their relationship is restored. Yes, they do go their separate directions, but the Lord honors each of them as they go their separate directions. And what we are going to learn this morning, it doesn't matter whether you're a missionary or not. This is, these are lessons that we must learn, that we must walk in the newness of what the Apostle Paul is presenting for us here this morning. And while I said there's four lessons, I'm going to keep the third lesson for next or the fourth lesson for next week. All we're going to look at are the first three lessons, because the fourth lesson that, that the Apostle Paul will teach us is that we must submit to God's will. And, and that is such a huge topic. And, and so many people are desiring to know what God's will is and, and how do I find God's will and how do I walk in God's will? 
And there are so many questions about it that I, I would like to spend our entire time next week devoted to this idea of God's will and what we learn from the Apostle Paul as he wraps up his second missionary journey and, and lets the church in Ephesus know that, that he will return to them again if it is the Lord's will. What is the Lord's will? We will look at that next week. But today, where we will start is, is where we have been already. As the first lesson that the Apostle Paul gives us is this. You and I, we must expect opposition. We must expect opposition. This is not the first time we've seen this. You see, the Apostle Paul, it almost seems in, in every city that he goes to. And if, and if we go back to, to Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, in the beginning days of Christ's church, what kept happening? Opposition after opposition after opposition. And today we're going to see the same thing. And you might be thinking, well, Pastor Jason, I'm tired of hearing this. And yet the reality is the Lord wants us to be reminded of this continually. Why? Because this is something that we must always face. If you're not facing opposition now, you will. So look at verses 12 and 13 as the first lesson that the Apostle Paul gives us clearly is that we are to expect opposition. Even in a time where God had already given Paul this promise. Hey, nobody's going to harm you here, Paul. And yet what we're going to see right now is people want to harm him. But while Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Notice how they generalize it. They don't even say, well, which law that he's acting contrary to? Is it the Roman law or is it the Jewish law? And so what we see right away is that, that there is opposition that comes at Paul. Things aren't just a, a bed of roses where, where continually, month after month after month, he, he never has any struggles or hardships. Even with the Lord's promise that he will protect him, we still see that there are trials that come towards Paul. And, and if we were to look at the words of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, we would see this as well. For this is what Jesus says in, in Matthew, and you can write this down in, in your notes. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 to 12, Jesus says something amazing. Incredibly challenging. He says this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Are you kidding me? No, that's what Jesus says. Really, to be, to be rejoicing. And be exceedingly glad when you run into hard times over the sake of Christ, over his name. People pushing back. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. Why? Well, Jesus gives the answer. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, if you stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be persecuted. At some point or another. That's why Paul says this in 2 Timothy 
his last epistle, long after this time where, where he's still in Corinth, he's now at the end of his life. And this is what he has to say. He says, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Do you know why he says that? Because his back was a roadmap of persecution. Time and time again, Paul went through all sorts of beatings. So if he took off his shirt, everybody would see the scars. So for Paul, he could say without a shadow of a doubt that, that when you follow Christ, you are going to be persecuted. And yet we, we also recognize, do we not, that there's a way to get out of persecution. To a certain extent, what do you do? You, you don't live godly. You, you just walk the fence and you, and you compromise whenever the stakes are raised and you give in. You, you don't be distinctive. You don't take a stand. And then you won't suffer persecution. But, but that isn't what we see in God's word. That is not how the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to act. You see, persecution really is and, and suffering. And even times like we're having right now, do, do you know what they are? That they're a thermometer that registers your love and courage for the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe perhaps you've actually gone out and bought a thermometer in the last couple of weeks because you recognize that one of the telltale symptoms for COVID is a high fever. But you know what? Most people in America, we, we don't have thermometers, right? We, we come home on our home assignment with our kids having malaria, and they'd get really high fevers when we were spending time at our friend's house. And, and we'd ask them, hey, do you, have a, do you have a thermometer so we could see what, what our child's temperature is like? And they're like, a thermometer? No, we, we don't have a thermometer. No, if our kids get sick, we just take them to the doctor. Well, in Papua New Guinea, you, we could not live as missionaries without a thermometer. It was something that we used over and over and over again. Well, in, in, in the same way, what did we use that for? Determine whether or not our kids actually had malaria, whether they had a sickness that could end up in death. Well, in, in very much the same way, a thermometer registers our love and our courage for the Lord Jesus Christ during times of persecution, during times of suffering. You know, the real question that we, that we should be asking ourselves isn't whether we will be persecuted, but why am I not being persecuted right now? For those who follow Christ inevitably will face persecution. I, I stumbled upon this quote by Martin Luther, and it, man, it is so riveting and challenging. He, he, said, he said it this way, a religion that gives nothing that costs nothing, and that suffers nothing is worth nothing. Let me say that again. A religion that gives nothing, that costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And we see that in the life of the Apostle Paul. As he is now presented with, with opposition, and what is going to happen? He, he doesn't have any idea what's going to happen. The Jews, they are hoping that something's going to happen. So what do they do? They take Paul and they bring him to this man, Gallio. We're told that he's a, a proconsul of Achaia. What does that mean? That means he's a, he's a governor. That means that he is in a position of authority, and it is a very high position of authority within the Roman Empire. You see, we, we've seen all sorts of other times where the apostles 
are brought before village leaders, magistrates, even in the beginning, the Sanhedrin. And these were men of power, but they did not hold and wield the same power as this man being a proconsul, being a, a governor did. You see, what, what Gallio could do is, is whatever he termed, however he sentenced the Apostle Paul, would have ramifications throughout the entire Roman Empire. He, in essence, could close the door on Christianity right here, right now. He could close the door on Paul and make it impossible for him to go and to continue teaching about Jesus Christ. In fact, he could take it a couple steps further. He could destroy, execute, murder Paul right here and right now. And no doubt that is what the Jews were hoping for. And that is the reason why, with one accord, they had one mind, one thinking about this. They, they grabbed Paul and they brought him before, and notice the word, the judgment seat. In the Greek, that word is bima. That, that means it's a, it's a judge's bench. A judicial chair. And in, and in Corinth, it was, it was above every, everyone. And there was a special chair seated right on top. So that as everybody came to this particular person, you could see that they were in a chair of authority, a position of great authority. Literally, it would seem that your, your, your life was in this judge's hands. And so what do they do? They, they come and they bring Paul before this man. And this should remind us, because the word of God speaks a lot about the bima, about the judgment seat. You see, all of us, it doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior or not, we're all going to stand before judgment at some point. We as believers, we will stand in the judgment seat of Christ, not to have our sins judged because Jesus took the punishment for our sins upon himself on the cross. But we will have our righteous deeds judged as it talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, Romans 2, Romans 14, Revelation 20, Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats being divided. We will stand before the Lord and he will, he will judge all of the things that we have done on this earth. And at that time, depending on whether or not we did it in our own power, in our own flesh, in our own strength, for our own purposes, in order to elevate our own name, to lift ourselves high, or whether we did things by the power of the Spirit to honor God, to lift him, to elevate him, to raise his name high there will be entirely different results. And, and man, what a challenging thought that, that I could stand here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and proclaim God's word here to, to you, to the body of Rancho Baptist Church, but I could do it in my own strength. I could do it in order to elevate myself. And then when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment, you know what will happen to all of that energy, all of that effort, all of those preaching sermon after sermon after sermon, all of those hours, they will go up like wood, hay, and stubble. Why? Because they were not done in the power of the Spirit, but they were done in the power of Jason. My prayer is that the time that we spent as missionaries in Papua New Guinea, that that was not wasted. I know it was not wasted eternally, because there are lives that have changed. 
There are now those that came from darkness and they are in the light. They will be in heaven forever. And I'm confident of that. What I also desire is the time that we spent there, that I spent proclaiming the word of God, that that was done in the power of the spirit. So that when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, before the before the judgment of Jesus Christ, and those works are tried, that they come out as precious stones and, and they come out as crowns that I can then cast at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ in praise and adoration for what he has done. And the same would be the, the case here at Rancho Baptist Church for as long as the Lord would allow me to be here. And the same would be the case for all that is done with my family. Day in and day out, as I seek to honor the Lord in my home, that, that as the word of God goes forth in our home and as, as we interact and as we love one another, that again, that that would be tried by Jesus Christ and it would come out as precious stones that I could then cast at the Lord's feet. And so what, what do the Jews say about Paul? They, they say that, that he is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. Was that a true statement? No. It, it wasn't contrary to the Roman law, and it wasn't contrary to the Jewish law either. It was just they didn't like what he was saying. And so they wanted to get rid of Paul. And so that's what their plan was. They thought, oh, this guy, Galileo, he, he's only been here for a short time. And, and church history says he was only in Corinth as the governor for one year. And in that one year, God providentially stuck him right here in the time of Paul. And, and the Jews come and, and they bring Paul before him. What they are hoping is that, they will, that he will understand what they are saying. And what they are saying is, hey, Christianity is not a subset, is not a sect of our Jewish faith. What he believes is not what we believe. What he teaches is not what we teach. You see, Galileo, you see what, what you don't understand is you think that Christianity and that the, our Jewish faith are the same. They are not the same. Please, governor, will you pronounce Christianity as an illegal sect, because if, if, if he did that, then Christianity would become illegal throughout the entire Roman Empire. And Paul's life would be put on the line, and all believers' lives would be put on the line, because it wouldn't be just something that Galileo says here, but it's something that would be stamped throughout the entire Roman Empire. And yet what happens? What happens is the complete opposite. And, and why does this happen? Because God is in control, not the Jews, not even Galileo who thinks he might be in control. No, God is in control. And this is huge. Why? Because for Paul in particular, he's now given, a, I don't know how to say it, a safe passage card that he can now pull out of his back pocket. And everywhere that he goes in the Roman Empire, he now is, has been given by a governor. A fair trial here where he said, where the governor had said, hey, no, it's okay. This is a religion recognized by Rome. And so the doors for the Christian faith, for the Christian church, for Christ's church to continue to grow, the, the doors have been opened even wider. Because now the, the, the Roman government themselves have given an endorsement to the Apostle Paul, to the Christian faith. 
And so we see even in this that, that when we, we can expect opposition, but the Lord will do something as this opposition comes. And we must count on opposition coming. And the next lesson that we learn from the Apostle Paul, it, it follows this same trajectory, this trajectory of, of hardship and opposition and suffering. And that is that you and I, that we must trust God's plan. We must trust God's plan. Look at verses 14 to 17. As we see God's plan unfold before the Apostle Paul, even though he didn't have a clue that this was what God's plan was. Look at verse 14. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, the Greek is stronger than that. He was literally beginning to speak. Why? Because, well, that's normal. They just had brought an accusation up against Paul. So what is he going to do? He's going to defend himself. But the Lord doesn't even give him an opportunity to defend himself because Galileo, he steps in. And Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O oh Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names in your own law, look after it yourselves. I'm unwilling to be a judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. That word is strong, too. It's not that he literally did it. It's that he must have had some sort of official, some sort of police that were there that, that literally pushed them all away from the judgment seat. But then we see this in, in verse 17. And, and they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo was, was not concerned about any of these things. So what we must do is what the Apostle Paul did continually, day after day after day, is trust God's plan. This is what Jesus did. Every day of his life, him being God, he, he still submitted himself to God's plan, and he trusted in the plan of the Father. And you and I, we must do the same. We must trust his plan. Because it's easy? No. Because it makes sense? No. In neither of, of these cases do we see this happening here. This wasn't easy for Paul to be brought here. This didn't make any sense that he would be quiet and that the Lord would handle this through this, this governor that didn't even know Jesus Christ. So why do we trust him? Because God is good in all that he does. Because he is entirely trustworthy. And because he knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't look like he does, even when we might question the wisdom of the way that the Lord is leading and guiding. You see, our lives are so much better in his hands than in our hands. And that is the lesson that, that the Lord was teaching Paul, and that is the lesson he wants us to learn. That our lives are in so much better hands in his hands than in our hands. John Owen says it like this. We, we can have no power from Christ unless we live in a persuasion that we have none of our own. I think a beautiful depiction of this is, is blind skiers. I, I don't know how many of you have been on a mountain before. And then all of a sudden you'll, you'll see somebody skiing next to somebody really, really close. And, and, they're, and they're calling out 
directions, right, left, right, left. What, what is it? That's a, that's a blind skier with a person who is not blind guiding them. You know, in 1988, in the Winter Olympics, they, they had a whole little segment that featured blind skiers doing the slalom. And the way that they learned was first they, they started them off on the flats on a much easier slope to go down on a course that, that wasn't straight down, but just a flat. And what did they do? They had a person who could see a guy right next to them, telling them, okay, left, right, left, right. And they practiced and practiced and practiced and, until there was complete trust with that blind skier and the, and the sighted skier. And so then they went up the chairlift and then they went down the slalom course, crazy as it sounds, the blind people going down the slalom course. And, and what happened? Well, the sighted skier was right next to the blind skier. He was calling out right, left, right, left, right, left. And as the blind skier obeyed whatever commands the sighted skier, his helper was giving him, what happened? Well, then they ended up crossing the finish line. It ended up in, in a complete trust or it ended up in catastrophe. That is such a good picture of our Christian life. You see, in this world, we are in reality blind about what will happen in the future. About what course to take as we walk this life. And so we must rely solely on the word of the one who is the truly sighted one. And that is God himself. And his word gives us the direction that we need in order to finish the course. And that is one of the lessons that, are, that we are learning from the Apostle Paul this morning, that we are to follow the course that the Lord Jesus Christ is giving us, that he's revealed to us in his word. Paul didn't know what was going to happen. He actually wanted to stand up and defend himself. And, and the Lord worked out the situation, the circumstances in such a way that Gallio literally, this governor, Gallio cut him off. And kept Paul from probably making things worse. And so we see, in essence, what Gallio does here is he legitimizes Christianity in the eyes of the Roman authorities throughout the entire empire. And this becomes a huge victory for the Christian faith. And, and why did this happen? Is it because Paul had given him a bribe? Is it because Paul and Gallio had met maybe some other place that we're not told and they become best buds and, and that's the way that's why all of this works? No, that this happens because of what we read in verses 9 and 10. That the Lord Jesus Christ had told Paul that he was going to protect him, that nobody was going to bring him physical harm. So it wasn't so much Gallio keeping harm from falling upon Paul as it was God. And isn't that encouraging that, that God always does what he says that he will do? And he says that he will be with us. He says that he will go before us in all that we do. So even right now, as we face this COVID-19 pandemic, what is the, the lesson for us in this? That one of the lessons is, God can use the decisions of all those in Washington, even if they don't know him, just as he used Gallio and what Gallio said on behalf of Paul. 
in very much the same way God can use the decisions that, that those in Washington are making, the mayor, the governors around us, even if they don't know him, the Lord can use all of those decisions to bring about his own will and his own purposes in this that allows us to see, oh my, I do not have hope in all of these other things, but I have hope in him alone and he can work this out. Just as he faithfully worked it out for Paul, he is going to work it out for us. And although it's difficult to go through such trials, and, and I recognize if fully how, how difficult the situation that we're in right now with COVID. And yet what we see is the effect that this can have on us by placing us in a position where we can walk in dependence upon the Lord and not on ourselves. And that's what we see happening with trials. That's what we see happening when, when Paul is faced with this opposition. It gives him an opportunity to trust God more and that we should trust God more. And as we trust God's plan, and if we allow these trials and, and, and this opposition and the difficulties that, that we have, if we allow those trials to have their work, their perfect work in us, as we know we're not perfect in the way that we respond, but as we seek the Lord in the way that we respond, then what we will see is we will see fruit. We will see fruit that the Lord is doing in our lives. And that's what we see next in, in the next lesson, the third lesson that we learn from the Apostle Paul in this. And that is that if we want to finish well, if we want to be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, yes, we must recognize and expect opposition. We must trust God's plan, even if it doesn't make sense. And we must remain faithfully devoted to him. For that is what we see the Apostle Paul doing. Look at verse 18. So it goes on to say, Paul, having remained many days longer. Just think about that. So it said earlier that he was in Corinth for a year and a half. Now he stayed longer. Why? Because not just because of the promise that the Lord Jesus Christ had given him, but now because of what the Lord had done, even through this opposition, and he had smiled upon Paul, and he had, he had allowed Gallio to keep the doors open for Paul's ministry. Paul was like, well, I'm not going to leave Corinth yet. So he keeps ministering. Having remained many days longer, took leave of the brethren and put out to sea for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. In Kentria, he had his hair cut, for he was keeping a vow. So what do we see in, in the life of the Apostle Paul? He keeps going. He remains faithful. He continues to do what the Lord told him to do, which is to proclaim Jesus to everyone. And that's what he continues to do in Corinth. But then we're introduced to something new. Because what we see is Paul then leaves Corinth and he's going to travel now. And he's going to go to Asia. He's heading home, but he, but he goes to Ephesus first. But notice who goes with him. It's not Timothy. It's not Silas. It's not Luke. Of all the people for, for Paul to bring him, to bring along with him, he brings Aquila and Priscilla. What? 
This is God's grace, and this is, again, the evidence in these, this couple's life that they were being faithful to the Lord and they were devoted to the Lord. I would say not just devoted to the Lord. They were devoted to Paul as well. And if you'll remember the story about Aquila and Priscilla, their, their story begins in Rome. They're, they're kicked out of Rome, and then they come to Corinth, and they are believers, and, and they allow Paul to live in their home, and they look after Paul so well, and, and then they work together, and then they minister together. And notice when it mentions them, it mentions them together. It doesn't say just Aquila. It doesn't say just Priscilla. In fact, here, it, it puts Priscilla's name before Aquila. Could it be because she was so involved in being hospitable and allowing people to come to her house that, that that's why she's showcased? Do you know that as they follow Paul and they now go to Ephesus, Paul doesn't stay in Ephesus. We're going to see he goes on. He's returning home. His, his second missionary journey is done, but he entrusts the whole church planting effort to this couple. The whole church planting work, planting a church in Ephesus, is now going to be given to this couple. And what we see is this new church that will emerge in Ephesus will meet in the house of Aquila and Priscilla. And, and that is a big deal for a wife, is it not? So, so Priscilla should be commended. Aquila should be commended. Them as a couple should be commended. We should look at them as, as faithful followers who are devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and devoted to the Apostle Paul. If that isn't enough of a testimony, of a challenge, do you know what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse 4? He says that, that, that Aquila and Priscilla literally put their lives on the line for him. We're not told how he did that or how they did that for him. If that happened in Corinth or if that happened in Ephesus. But at some point, opposition comes towards Paul and it's coming at him just like an arrow. And what happens? Aquila and Priscilla jump in the way and they're willing to risk their very lives for their brother Paul. Man, what a testimony from this couple that the Lord uses over and over and over again. And notice their willingness to be used by the Lord. They don't hold on to things so tightly that they say, oh no, we love our house in Corinth. We love the work in Corinth that God has given us. Are you kidding, Paul? Look at our tent-making ministry. It is our tent-making business. It's growing and growing and growing. No, we have to stay here. No, they're willing to follow Paul and to be used by the Lord no matter what the cost. And we see the Lord bless them as a result. I think a good follow-up question from them is for all of us. How are you serving the Lord today? How are you and, 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 and your wife as a couple? What, what does that look like for you? Are, are you involved in any kind of ministry? Could the Lord, your God, could Jesus Christ actually be welling up in your hearts a desire to serve him like Aquila and Priscilla? To be involved in a church planting work like Aquila and Priscilla. And I can already hear some of you go, whoa, whoa, Pastor Jason, I have not received a, a formal education. 
We, I have no experience going overseas. I, I, I'm not a linguist. I'm, I'm not a Bible translator. I, I don't know. No, I, I, I please, please listen to me and hear me out on this. It, it's not so much your abilities as it is your availability. That's what we see in Aquila and Priscilla. They made themselves available to the Lord. Hey, whatever you want us to do, we will follow you. I have to believe that at this point they were thinking, what, I have to church in Ephesus? Are you kidding? And yet that is exactly what the Lord does through them. What could the Lord do through you, through your family? Perhaps the Lord is, is, is working in your heart to be involved in missions. Please seek the Lord about those, those kinds of things. I wonder within our body of Rancho Baptist Church, who the Aquila and Priscilla is. Who are they? Maybe there's many of them that we are going to send out and watch the Lord use them to plant churches, to preach his gospel. But we don't see that that's all that Paul does as far as showing his devotion. That it's not just Aquila and Priscilla, but Paul also says something very strange. As, as Luke writes in, in verse 18, you see, it says that Paul gets to Kentria, which is basically the port city, so that he can leave Corinth and head over to Asia to Ephesus. As he gets there, he, he has his hair cut. As it says, he's keeping a vow. This is a Nazarite vow. And what this means is that, that Paul would not drink wine. He'd not go near or touch a dead body that, that he cut his hair. This is just what Samson did. But Samson did it for his life. There was another way to do this vow that was only for 30 days. And it was done as an act of devotion for the Lord. Either because God had blessed you or God had kept you from something. And his deliverance. And so what we see Paul doing is, is showing his devotion to the Lord by doing this vow. And what he would do is he would shave his head. And since he's not in Jerusalem, he'd put the hair in a little bag or something. And then he'd have 30 days to make it to Jerusalem. And then when he would get to Jerusalem, he would take that hair. He'd actually go to the temple. He'd shave his head one more time. And then he'd take all of that hair. And with his shaved head, he'd go in and he'd offer a peace offering. He'd burn that hair as a peace offering to the Lord. And I believe he did this for, for three reasons. First, as an act of devotion. Second, to show that, that he was completely voluntary in this act. He didn't have to do this. He did this in order to show his devotion. And third, I believe he did this as a, as a way of edifying others. No doubt that the church in Jerusalem, because remember, this is the church where Paul had taken a, a strong stance saying, hey, you, you don't need to keep circumcising everyone. We don't need to follow the law. And yet here, to a certain extent, he's following the law. What? Well, he's letting them know, hey, you know what? You don't do these things in order to earn God's favor any longer. You do these things such as these vows as an act of devotion, as an act of faithfulness before the Lord. And this morning, I recognize that, that none of us are going to take a Nazarite vow. But, but perhaps 
A way that we can think about devoting ourselves to the Lord involves something like this. Maybe for you, it's, it's your phone. And what I mean by that is, is maybe that phone is something that causes you to, to not be so devoted to the Lord. That you allow that phone to, to, to tempt you to, to look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And so maybe for you, what, what you need to do is you need to get rid of your phone. Maybe for, for some of us that we need to make time in our homes for family devotions. And show to our whole family, hey, we want to devote ourselves to the Lord every day. So we're going to gather right now and we're going to spend some time in the word, in worship with one another. Perhaps it's in the way that you watch television. And what you need to do, what you need to consider is, okay, what does this look like? How do I devote myself more fully to him in this aspect of the time that I spend on, t- on television? You don't have to take a Nazarite vow today in order to consecrate yourself, commit yourself to being more devoted to the Lord. There's all sorts of opportunities. So we see these lessons from the Apostle Paul that we are to expect opposition. But in that time that we are to trust God's plan every step of the way, that we are to remain faithfully devoted to him, come what may. And next week, we'll see that the next lesson, the fourth lesson, that we are to submit to God's will. So today, what we have done is we've, we've lived in basically in the skin of the Apostle Paul, traveling with, with him through Corinth. And now look at what it says in verse 22. And I will come back to 19 to 21 next week. But look at what it says in verse 22 as I close. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. That's speaking of going up to Jerusalem. You don't say you're going up to go to Antioch. So that's letting us know that he first goes to Jerusalem to meet with the church there, to be an encouragement to them, even to show them that that he is still doing vows and to encourage them to continue to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And then it says he went down to Antioch. And he spends time with his home church, no doubt recounting what recounting God's faithfulness to him and all that the Lord did through him throughout this second missionary journey. And he stays there for a while, recounting all that God had done, had done through him. I can't wait for the day when we're no longer doing this virtually, when we get to gather again together and we want to do it outside and we want to have a, a a great big celebration of the Lord bringing us back together. We don't know when that day will happen, but that day will happen. We are trusting the Lord for that. In closing, there are some points to ponder, and you can also look, look at these online or in our app. Just three things that I'd like to leave with you to consider. Number one, consider how God turns a possible indictment on Christianity by Gallio into an open door for Paul to take the gospel everywhere throughout Rome, unhindered. Looking at the present situation with COVID-19, how might God's hand be seen in what is going on? How might the Lord use this for the spread of his gospel? Number two, consider how Paul trusted the Lord in the face of opposition, not giving in to fear. 
God was faithful to his promise to protect Paul from harm. How does God's knowledge of the opposition Paul faced and God's faithfulness to his promises to Paul encourage you in what you find yourself facing today? That should give us all so much hope, encourage and encouragement. Number three, Paul, consider Paul's vow in the end of, of his missionary journey, at least the second one. How does Paul's devotion to the Lord and willingness to remain faithful challenge you in your walk with God right now? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your great mercy that it is more than what we need and it's new every morning that we can rely on you completely for everything that we go through. Father, we thank you for mercy as we expect opposition. We thank you for your mercy to trust your plan. We thank you for your mercy to allow us to remain faithfully devoted to our God who loves us and who gives us grace that overwhelms us. Lord, even during this darkest time, your mercy is stronger and newer, and we thank you for that. What a great God we serve. Lord, would you help us to trust you more? Would you help us to do everything in the spirit of Christ that strengthens us? And we ask these things in the wonderful name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. I trust the Lord is sustaining you all during this unprecedented time in our nations, and indeed our world's history. I miss seeing all of you, and I look forward to that big day that we're all back to normal again. Make sure to click a Zoom link this week if you've not yet, especially for community group. If you haven't yet joined a community group, we encourage you to, to click into anyone you'd like. Mitzi sends out those links on a weekly basis. Also, on Wednesday nights, we have our all-church prayer meeting. We'd love for you guys to join us. Uh, the more, the merrier, so we can pray for our body and pray for our nation. Until then, stay safe, stay well. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. This is Pastor Tom signing off. Grace and peace.